That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, smoky days are here again. (laughs) Oh, greetings from uh, Portland, Oregon, where, uh, you know, we can barely see maybe 300 yards. It's astonishing. The air quality index, this is from the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA's air quality index, says that healthy air has uh, 0 to 50 I believe it's particles per cubic foot of air, particles that are less than 2.5 microns in size. These are microscopic. They're so small that when they get into your lungs, they don't just hang out there like cigarette smoke does. They go right into your bloodstream and they get transported around your body and they can get into your brain and your organs and your eyes and they cause really serious damage. They, co- they cause heart attacks. They co- I mean, this is beyond just asthma. They cause cardiac arrhythmias. They can cause all kinds of problems. So anyhow, when it's 0 to 50, that's healthy. Anything above 300, in the mid-hundreds, anything from 100 to 300 is considered dangerous. And above 300 is considered hazardous. And if it lasts for more than 24 hours, it's considered emergency conditions. Well, our air in Oregon for the last three days has been over 500 here in Portland. 500 particles per cubic foot which is just mind-boggling. There's a a wine grower down in Washington County who's planted his vineyard, he and his wife, they planted their vineyards in 1976, and they have literally every single year written down when the grapes leaf every spring, when the buds come out every spring, when they blossom every spring, and when the fruit ripens every summer and fall. They write down that date, and they've been fairly steady. And what they found is that all of those events are now occurring uh, between uh, 7 and 14 days earlier than they were in the 70s. In just 40 years, we have seen global warming completely alter the climate of the Pacific Northwest. And the result is that the trees are dying out. First of all, they're drying out. The soil is drying out. The trees are dying. And, uh, you know, we've got this, you know, it's a tinderbox. The West Coast is never going to be the same. And, by the way, this is coming to a town near you. This is global warming. Trump is going to California. That's going to be entertaining. Because he says, oh, yeah, it's a hoax made up by the Chinese. Right. And he has rolled back all these uh, fossil fuel restrictions to make things worse. He's absolutely, for four years, has been making things worse, as did George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. But that is just like the beginning of the news for the day. But I wanted to talk about Bob Woodward and Donald Trump. Bob Woodward was interviewed on 60 Minutes. I don't know if you saw it, but, you know, the clips have been widely circulated. Pretty much everything he said has already been said in the, in the press in the last week or so. And... He was interviewing Donald Trump back in January and February. I mean, his interviews ran right up until a few months ago, but until August. But basically, the stuff that is so shocking is that in January and February, Donald Trump knew that this and and told Bob Woodward that the coronavirus was not only deadly, far deadlier than the flu, but that it was airborne. 
And so it was highly transmissible. It's more than just a touch. You can't just wash your hands. It's airborne and you can't stop breathing. The average person takes 17,000 breaths a day. You can't stop it. If you do, you die. So Woodward knew this back in January and February. And I know it's very fashionable right now to trash Bob Woodward for sitting on that information. My personal take on it, frankly, is that if he had revealed it at the time in the Washington Post, it would have been a one-day story. Because back then, you know, would have, nobody was sure of anything. I mean, by nobody, I mean in the general public, right, and in the news media. The, the scientists were pretty solid on this by the end of January. But it, wasn't, it certainly wasn't making its way into the American media. Now, Taiwan and South Korea and, you know, several other countries, Australia, New Zealand, they had figured this out and they had locked down for it because they'd been through SARS back in 2003. And we'll get to that in just a second. But Bob Water is being trashed for not releasing the information. As I said, I think that, you know, that's a reasonable discussion that we can have. But I think that the, there's a much, much bigger picture here that nobody's talking about. And that I think that we all need to talk about, which is if Donald Trump knew how deadly COVID was back in January, Bob Woodward couldn't have been the only person that he told. I mean, he had to have brought this up in cabinet meetings. The guy is, you know, voluble and loquacious. He's talking constantly. He knew this. And by the way, the people who told him probably told, at the very least, the national security staff and the White House staff. I mean, how could they not? So I think really the question we should be asking is why did our government officials who are paid to keep America safe also not do anything to protect us? Why did they lie about it? Whether it's the appointed government officials like, you know, uh, Jared and Ivanka, or whether it's the elected government or the appointed government officials in the, in the cabinet or elected government officials like Mike Pence. In fact, Kelly Loeffler and Richard Burr, these Republican senators, dumped their stock after they got briefed about this. Remember that? Well, a doc, a professor and physician over at George Washington University says that uh, given this information, Donald Trump at the very least is guilty of negligent homicide. He didn't just ignore the virus. He actively lied to the American people about it and continues to lie to this day. I mean, holding giant rallies like he did over the weekend in Nevada. That's going to lead to increased infection spreads and more deaths. There will be other Herman Cain's. More Darwin Awards are going to be passed out to Trump followers, to Trump humpers in the next few months because of what Donald Trump is doing right now. Now, most of them will probably die after the election. That's 50 days from now. But other countries that took testing and contact tracing seriously are now returning to something that resembles normalcy. I mean, this is pretty mind-boggling, right? Taiwan. Taiwan's last five months and counting continue to be defined by a single number. This is from the diplomat Nick Aspinwall. Zero. The number of local transmissions recorded in Taiwan since April 12th. Zero. Right? No deaths. I mean, it, it's you, you put this into perspective and it gets pretty damn breathtaking. Canada reported zero COVID deaths in the last 24 hours. This was a day or two ago. Maybe they've had a death in the last day or so. But, I mean, you know, the rest of the world has this under control. We have more dead people in the United States now than died in all of America's wars since 1945. So how should America respond to leadership whose knowing, intentional lies and actions killed more Americans than the enemy in North Korea, North Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan combined over a 70-year period. Do we have a commission? Do we ship them off to The Hague? What do you think? On the Science Revolution this week, Dr. Michael Mann is here on climate change and the West on fire. Plus, there's a new study showing planet Earth may temporarily pass a dangerous 1.5 degrees Celsius warming limit by the middle of the next decade. This is a huge warning to us all. Former EPA official Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali drops by to warn us about creating an apocalyptic, devastated planet. 
Attorney for Earth Justice Bradley Marshall is here informing us about bomb trains. Earth Justice has just filed a legal challenge to stop them. And in geeky science, I'm looking at why the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine study was put on hold. Tune into the science revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. Dennis in Aptos, California. Dennis, how you doing? I'm doing fine, and I want to thank you for using global warming and not climate change in your introduction today. I use both terms, but I think it's important to use both terms. I prefer global warming, frankly, because I think it's more descriptive. But anyhow. So do I. Yeah, so do I. We have to remember Frank Luntz came up with uh, climate change. Uh, Yeah, I think Trump should be held... uh, responsible for uh actually dennis for the record there were a bunch of scientists suggesting that we should be using the phrase climate change because there will be local areas of cooling instead of warming and local areas of rainfall and whatnot frank luntz Mm -hmm. tested that and found that it was it had less impact and therefore promoted it in the republican party but it wasn't you know he wasn't the evil genius behind it (laughs) okay yeah okay yeah but yeah back to trump i mean i I really do think once he's out of office, that this is this could be one of the other charges against him: willful negligence, or uh, indeed perhaps a willful homicide of hundreds of thousands of Americans. You know, and you asked about what can we do about it. I don't think we go to the point of the Romanians with Ceausescu or the Italians with Mussolini, but I bet there's a lot of people right now who wouldn't mind uh, that happening to uh, Trump. I've read things on I, I don't on even YouTube want to go there, the Dennis. I mean, those leaders were, you know, gruesomely killed, and nobody is suggesting that Donald Trump or anybody around him should be. And in fact, i got to end the conversation right now, because anytime anybody starts talking like that, it's just, you know, it's beyond the pale. But, you know, that said... There were a lot of Nazi leaders who were brought up on charges in The Hague. You know, Rudolf Hess died in prison, in the Spandau prison, for the death of millions of people. And I think that there's going to be a reckoning here. I think that there's going to be a reckoning for Jair Bolsonaro in, in Brazil, although he's, he's, uh, his popularity is going up right now because he's playing socialist. He's, he's literally passing out large quantities of government money to poor people. You know, which is, you know, something that, generally speaking, I would advocate. But he's doing it rather cynically. I mean, he's not doing it out of any sense of this is how a government should run or anything like that. But you've got Bolsonaro there. You've got, you know, uh, well, Modi in India, it's kind of a mixed bag. You know, we'll see. There are a couple of countries in the world. They tend to be run by basically autocratic, strongman-type governments that, are largely ignoring this or adopting a herd mentality or a herd uh, immunity strategy. England, the United Kingdom, is going into a second lockdown now. You know, you can track this right back to uh, Woodcock, the health minister, and Johnson, the prime minister, saying, well, you know, we're just going to do a herd mentality thing. You know, look at Sweden. Well, Sweden didn't just say, hey, everybody have fun. You know, I mean, they actually pulled the country together on a voluntary basis. So... Anyhow, what should we do with that? And more of the news of the day in just a moment. Stick around. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro-kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple-glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's, or enter the code Hartman the two ends before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman 
or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Tom Hartman here with you. Just to put this stuff in perspective, right? We're closing in on 200,000 American dead this week. 200,000. Now, the total number of Americans killed by Japan in World War II was 160,000. So Trump so far has killed more Americans, or Trump's inaction so far, has killed more Americans than Japan did in World War II. The Nazis... The Germans in World War II in Europe killed 116,000 Americans. By the way, ehistory.osu.edu is a great source for all these statistics. 116,000 Americans killed by Nazis in World War II. We're closing in on 200,000. While 600,000 people died in the Civil War, most of them didn't actually die in the battlefield. There were epidemics of disease and all kinds of, you know, start, actual famine in some places. But the number of Confederate soldiers killed in battle during the Civil War was 94,000. The Union soldiers killed in battle was 110,000. So more than the number of soldiers who died in the Civil War have died as a result of Trump and the people around him's inaction. In the Vietnam War, 58,000 Americans. In the Korean War, it was 33,000. In the Mexican-American War, it was 13,000. In the American Revolution, we lost 4,400 Americans. 9-11, we lost 2,996 people. The Spanish-American War, we lost 2,200 people. And if you want to get into the stuff that Republicans are really hysterical about when they proposed impeaching President Obama, because two Americans had died of Ebola. Remember that? This was like, you know, for a month or so, they had this campaign going, impeach Obama. Two Americans have died from Ebola. And then after that, it was, it was uh, you know, throw out Secretary Clinton because four Americans died of Benghazi. And then don't forget the Bowling Green Massacre and the massive caravans that were coming to attack America. All the Americans that died there, zero. But if we look at Trump's crimes compared to other leaders, and again, this is not incompetence. We thought, you know, there were a lot of us talking about Trump's an idiot, Trump's incompetent. No, in January and February, Donald Trump knew that this virus was airborne and that it would kill people. He knew it. He said, it's really nasty, Bob. 
But I'm going to play it down because I don't want to create a panic. What's the panic he didn't want to create? In the stock market. That's what it was called in 1929. It was called the stock panic. It just astonished me. One of the things, as I was watching Bob Woodward, you know, he relates the story of Trump telling him, in fact, they played the, the audio of Trump telling him he didn't want to create a panic. And then Woodward completely misunderstands what Trump was saying. Trump doesn't care if the American people panic. He constantly is trying to make the American people panic. Oh, my God, the Mexicans, they're rapists, they're killers, they're coming. I mean, he opened his campaign in 2015 trying to panic people. And then there was the caravan that was coming. In fact, there were two caravans that were coming in both cases. Trump and Fox News hyping them. Oh, my God, be afraid, be afraid, look out. He's done everything he can to panic Americans. Antifa is coming to rob and rape you. Black Lives Matter is going to destroy your neighborhoods. He doesn't give a rat's ass about panicking Americans. And I I was just astonished. Woodward spent like three or four minutes trying to understand exactly why Donald Trump would be concerned about panicking people. He wasn't worried about panicking people. He said, I don't want to create a panic. What's a panic? That's how for 200 years in the United States, we have referred to stock market crashes. This was all about letting Kelly Loeffler and Richard Burr and any other Republican that wanted to do it to sell their damn stock and get out of the market before it dropped. But compare Donald Trump to other people. We have 20,000 infections per million Americans. We have 600, 597, roughly 600 deaths per million Americans. So you can compare apples to apples. Different countries are different sizes, but if you compare the number of people infected and the number of people are dead per million people, you've got an apples to apples comparison. We are 20,000 infected per million people. Canada, 3,600 infected per million people. Germany, 3,100 infected per million people. Norway, 2,200 infected per million people. Australia, 1,000 infected per per million people. Uh, South Korea, 439. We're at 20,000. South Korea is at 439. Deaths per million people? We are at 600 deaths per million people. Canada is at 243. South Korea is at 7. We are a 597 dead people for every million Americans. South Korea is at seven dead people. In New Zealand, it's five dead people for every million people. And Trump is saying, I think we're doing a great job. He was saying it last night in Nevada at his super spreader event. And by the way, they will be passing out the Darwin Awards for that to the next Herman Cain pretty soon. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Do we need a Truth and Reconciliation Commission afterwards where they all get to come out and apologize to us? What do you think? This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today is It Came From Something Awful, How a Toxic Troll Army Accidentally Memed Donald Trump Into Office by Dale Byrne. This is from the introduction. On a warm summer day some 13 years ago, I found myself in the frigid air of Baltimore's convention center attending Octacon, a gathering of otaku superfans of Japanese media, mainly anime and manga. I didn't particularly like anime. I felt I was a little too old for the event. I'd attended a few times when I was in high school in the late 90s. Back then, it had been held in a set of hotel conference rooms darkened to play obscure animation taped off Japanese TV. But in recent years, the crowds had grown big enough to require the city's largest venue. And the event had evolved, too, into an elaborate festival where otherwise isolated suburban kids came to bond over their favorite TV shows. And he goes through a fairly lengthy description of the convention center and whatnot. And he says, for this reason, entering into the cool, safe bubble of Octacon, where adolescents attempted to commune with the comforting kids' fantasy on the other side of the screen, felt slightly unsettling to me, though I couldn't put my finger on why. And at a certain point, wandering the triangle-shaped halls lined with wooden ships trapped in bottles, handing out flyers for my webcomic to teens dressed as rubber monsters, things started to get weird. Not for me, then. I hardly knew what I was seeing then. But for all of us, now. 
Years later, I realized I had become an indifferent witness to a turning point in history, a vast secret hinge upon which world events would swing. What did I see? Well, more of the same, kids in costumes. At the front of one room, there was a 15-year-old boy with a sharp chin, golden locks, and a baseball cap going through a PowerPoint presentation that was a mixture of web statistics and lewd jokes mocking various types of cartoon pornography. Excuse me. These included many fan-drawn images of the boy himself, depicted as a curvaceous pink cartoon cat girl wearing white panties. As the increasingly silly Photoshop drawings slid by, the raucous crowd shouted words of encouragement, gearing up for the late-night techno dance party that would follow. Despite all the adulation, the boy seemed slightly ill at ease. The cap was slung a little too low, as if to disguise his eyes, and he let his friends at the table do most of the talking. This was one of the first meetings of the now infamous online message board, 4chan.org. The boy in the cap was the site's founder, Christopher Moot Pohl. In October 2003, bored and in need of porno, he had programmed 4chan on a whim to trade pictures of anime girls with his friends, but soon discovered thousands and eventually millions of other people wanted to use it. It seems ridiculous to say the site was important, but even more ridiculous is as important as already documented in the history books. In Alt-America, David Neewert wrote that the Nazi-worshipping alt-right began with 4chan, where people were talking online about Japanese anime. Few of these books, including Neewert's, offer an explanation for how this could have possibly happened. How we got from anime otaku to the anime Nazis of 2016 and onward. How all of this resulted in internet weirdos marching with tiki torches and similar fantasy-themed costumes in Charlottesville in 2017. Of course, the kids in that room weren't Nazis. Far from it. The last thing they wanted to do was discuss politics. And at that moment, I certainly didn't feel as though I was present for some great turning point in history. In fact, it seemed like I was confronting yet another moment of anti-history as the vast landscape of the American suburban nowhere land was imported into the convention center, a place that, in its expanse of smooth, clean carpeting, model ships, and big tumbling geometric shapes, felt a little like an infinite kid's rec room. The teens weren't trying to make a mark in the world. They were trying to escape from it by pantomiming discarded scraps of fiction. However, looking back, it all reads like some crazy premonition. As the microphone was passed from rubber dinosaur to trench coat mafia kid to see which to ask their curly-headed leader questions, the teens slash monsters kept debating and joking about things called memes and trolls. In the mid-2000s, these terms were meaningless to anyone outside the room. But later they broke out of that room and saturated every inch of the world. And stranger still, from 2016 onward, memes and trolls became central concepts that obsessed political commentators. Almost overnight, the terms invaded the domain of world leaders and redefined the contest between them. Now there are Russian trolls, Facebook trolls, and of course, the original 4chan trolls, all jiggling through the ether. Back then, I was surprised to find that I knew what these terms meant. Before I encountered 4chan at Octacon, the site constantly popped up in my webcomics referral logs, the data that shows where people came from when they visit your site. When 4chan began, it wasn't all that different from other online message boards. It was a place to post content and talk to people on the Internet. At the time, it imported a few innovations from Japanese sites, which accounted for some of its popularity. It was easy to post images, and following a Japanese custom, it didn't require the user to sign up for an account. Anyone could post under a default name, which eventually became the name of all 4chan users, Anonymous. But this hardly explained why it ballooned so rapidly, why almost as soon as it appeared, people began gathering to celebrate it. The book, It Came From Something Awful by Dale Byrne. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes 
into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I subscribe to uh, a couple of daily newsletters. Uh, David Sirota drops by here from time to time. I get his. But frankly, my favorite one among all of them, the one that I find on a regular basis, does the deepest dive, the most comprehensive analysis out there. One, certainly one of them is Judd Legum's. It's called popular.info. Now, that's literally the website. It's the .info domain, popular.info. And Judd just did an extraordinary deep dive into right-wing, he calls it misinformation, I, I would use a stronger term, on Facebook. And, and, and so uh, I wanted to get him on just to give us a quick update on this. Judd, welcome back to the program. Tell us what you have learned about how not just conservative opinions, but we're talking right-wing, essentially what the FBI calls terrorist poison, is spreading on Facebook and has been for some time. Yeah, you know, I got interested in this because Facebook put some new guidance out saying that they were going to take misinformation about voting practices very seriously. You know, and this this started with Trump talking about how mail-in voting is associated with fraud and a lot of other baseless claims. So as I started looking into this, I noticed that there was this website called Conservative Brief that I had never heard of and that I'd never heard anyone talking about that was getting a huge amount of engagement on Facebook with these claims that mail-in voting is fraudulent and a lot of other just outrageous claims about Democrats stealing the election, et cetera, et cetera. And so as I looked into this and kind of went deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole, you know, what I found is, one, this is a site that basically takes mainstream reporting, like, for instance, after the March primary in California, there were 100,000 ballots that were absentee ballots that were rejected. Most of those ballots, I think it was like 80,000, just arrived late. But anyway, it was a legitimate report. They're basically talking about how, hey, you've got to get your ballots in on time to make sure they count. Right. So that's twisted and twisted and twisted and twisted by the conservative brief people until it becomes Dems are stealing the election, 100,000 illegal ballots found. 
doesn't have any relation really to, to the first story. But then that story is then taken and repeatedly posted by a network that at least I've discovered 20 different pages that post that one article and others like it repeatedly and really just gets massive distribution for this kind of misinformation. That one article was shared 100,000 times on Facebook, which is a lot for any publication. And so, course, John, many, are these guys doing time. this? Are these guys doing this for money? Are they doing it because they have ads associated with these things or are they doing it for ideology? And if they're doing it for ideology, who's footing the bill here? I think it's a combination. I think probably the primary motivation is money, but it's clearly the people involved are kind of serial right-wing propagandists in that they're involved in a lot of sites. This is their latest one. It was spun up pretty quickly. The largest page in this network actually started in May. Just in May of this year, it has 700,000 followers now. And it's, and it's so if a, if a conservative website on Facebook can grow that big that fast, why are progressive websites on Facebook not doing the same thing? I think that the algorithm itself and also the audience on Facebook is tilted towards conservative misinformation. And I think also, in the United States at least, the right is more comfortable with misinformation and the out Facebook algorithm is constructed in such a way that misinformation, if you could just make something up, that is what gets the biggest reaction and and moves the quickest through the ecosystem. But certainly there's some folks on the left who do pretty well on Facebook, but if you look at the overall rankings, there's a reporter from the New York Times who puts out like a top 10 list every day of like the 10 Mm -hmm. biggest hits, and it's dominated usually 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10 or 8 out of 10 of the top posts are all from the right, Fox News, Franklin Graham, Ben Shapiro, etc. Wow. So does something need to be done about this, Judd? We're talking with Judd Legum of Popular.info. Is there something that needs to be done, or is this just you know a reflection of America? Or, you know, I mean, what's the therefore out of this? Well, as a result of my reporting, Facebook is going to take some action because there were some rule violations that went on to achieve this. Specifically, mm-hmm. some of the pages were getting paid by conservative brief to post this content, which is against Facebook's rules, which is a little bit beside the point, but at least they'll take some action on it. Really, what Facebook needs to do is have a real enforceable policy against this. You know, And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this report, is that they make a big deal. I mean, you know, this was Zuckerberg himself saying, hey, we're going to come out strong against this kind of stuff because we recognize it as a threat to the legitimacy of the election. But really, they don't have the enforcement. And even once they become aware of it, not much happens. You know, what they did was... Well, all that engagement is increasing Facebook's profits, isn't it, Judd? Yes, it is. The engagement increases Facebook profit. And here, it's actually even easier to see, because I mentioned before, that largest page built up to 700,000 people since May. The way they did that is through paid Facebook ads. So they spent many thousands of dollars... Uh you know, so they're giving to, money to, to Facebook. They're giving money to Facebook to run these ads, to build up their followers, and then that's being used to promote this kind of propaganda, wow. basically. Amazing. Yeah. Judd, this yeah. is breathtaking stuff. People can read all about it at popular.info. Judd, thanks a lot for dropping by and sharing the story with us. Thanks for having me, Tom. My pleasure. Great talking with you. Mike in Chicago. Hey, Mike, what's up? The Lincoln Project premiered their first video meeting on Facebook with both Rick Wilson and Steve Schmidt. Rick Wilson said something about the Trump campaign that I found absolutely fascinating. I wanted to share with you. I kind of transposed it real quick. He says, being a strategist for 30 years, there are two words that no campaign wants to hear, and that's going dark which is another way of saying the campaign is out of money. And the Trump campaign has gone dark in both Michigan and Wisconsin. The Trump campaign decided to spend millions and millions on Fox News and D.C., a state Trump could never possibly win, but the campaign people knew it would stroke Trump's ego, so they decided to air ads there. Yeah, same Uh, with the Super Bowl. 
Yeah, it says they have burned through over $800 million of their $1 billion, including the Super Bowl, because he wanted to have a pissing contest with Bloomberg. Trump's also getting major backlash from his donors, asking why they aren't seeing any TV ads or yard signs in Michigan and Wisconsin. Meanwhile, Bill Stepien, the campaign manager, is now going through receipts 24-7 to find out where all this money has gone, and he's too afraid to tell Trump that they're out of money. So good luck getting more money from your donors. And this point, right. moving forward, political ads, as you know, on TV only become exponentially more expensive. Yeah. Yeah, I think, so you know, it's, to- it's grifters. You know, the old saying turtles all the way down. It's grifters all the way down. I, I you know, I think what they're going to what they're going to discover two things. Number one, and maybe Bill Stepien has figured this out. Obviously, Brad Parscale figured it out and might have been betting on it. I think Trump figured it out. And that is that if your campaign has money left over after the end of the campaign, then you get to keep that money. You know, there are some limitations on how you can spend it. You'd have to put it into your home office rather than your kitchen. But, hey, you could call your kitchen a home office. And that's the micro way. I mean, they, these guys will figure out ways to take millions of dollars. But, but I think that that's a big chunk of what's going on, too. Mike, thanks for the call. It's a great one. Your insights are great. Omar in Herndon, Virginia. Hey, Omar, you're on the air. What's up? Tom, thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, if I can just add also... Trump could have stalled our money. But um, I, I just want to make a quick point about your tweet. I mean, you know, in September 11, yeah, 3,000 people died on the hand of terrorists, foreign terrorists, and now we have over 200,000 who die in the hand of domestic terrorists, and that's Trump and the Republican Party. Well, I'd say a liar. I, I think the domestic yeah. terrorists are clearly, according to the FBI, some of these right-wing groups, and Trump uh, is stoking them and feeding them. But I'm, I'm not ready to call yeah. Trump a terrorist. But I'm not going to call him incompetent anymore. Obviously, he knew what he was doing all along, and it was yeah. just fine with him that a couple hundred thousand Americans died, which is just mind-boggling. It's just mind-boggling. Sure. I, just, I don't know how to describe. Yeah, the other thing I want to talk about is the uh, uh, the relation between uh, UAE and Israel. For the um, mm-hmm. It's happened now, and I'm sure you're aware of it. And the interesting that for the first time there was a flight from Israel to UAE, and 90% of the flight was over Saudi Arabia, which the Saudis allowed the Israelis to uh, use their airspace. So, I mean, I'm just coming to a conclusion that the Arab countries are kind of getting tired of the Palestinian question because they have their own issues in their own land, they have conflicts in their own land, and they almost want to kind of like want to move on. And the Palestinians would have more strength if more Arab countries have a relationship with Israel. Don't you think so? Yeah, I think so. And I think that, you know, certain kind of rationality might be returning to the region. I mean, you know, time will tell, but, you know, we will find out shortly. Maine in Chicago. Hey, Maine, what's on your mind today? How you doing, Tom? I want to talk about what's happening here with the, uh, they're opening up cannabis shops in the west and south sides, which is mostly uh, the black community. And they had 600 people, black people, file for license for these shops. And they were only able to get three. And they didn't even get three. They got two and a possible third one. And who they're giving these shops to are the Arabs and Hindus saying that, well, they're minorities too. But they're not the black people here in America. Uh, Might it be, Maine, that those folks are getting those licenses because they already own storefronts? No, 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 no. Okay. They're opening. They're opening the, huh. these storefronts. Interesting. And, but the thing is that, okay, cannabis may be the choice of smoke for, you know, for the American black people, but they're not allowed. It's a thing of the economic engines, Tom. They will mm-hmm. not allow us to own our economic engines. We don't own our stores. Yeah, I got it. We don't own the apartment buildings we live in in the city. Uh, it's a thing of, of keeping us in economic slavery. Yeah, this is the legacy of redlining and all that other stuff. Maine, thank right. you. Thanks for the heads up on that. I didn't. I did not know that was going on. You know, and I trust you and believe you. Stick around. It's the Tom Hartman program. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. We have a special video up over at TomHartman.com, and it's about how a fellow named Errol Graham is a 57-year-old African-English individual who 
starved to death recently in the United Kingdom. The neoliberal Thatcher policies are apparently echoing through the British system now in a rather substantial way, the same way that Reaganomics is echoing through the American system. And we've got tens of thousands of Americans who die every year because they lack health care or they can't afford copays and things. And we have literally millions of children in America who are malnourished or even go to bed hungry every night. It's pretty breathtaking stuff. And I think you'll find the rant particularly interesting or useful and hope you can share it with your friends when you pick it up. It's over at TomHartman.com. Thanks again. You're listening to Tom Hartman. James in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It says you disagree with me, James. You go to the front of the line. What's up? Okay. Yeah, I want to disagree with you in regards to saying that had somebody else been president or whoever, less people would have died or whatever. Trump did the best he could with the situation at hand. Nobody, including Trump, knew it was going to be as bad as what it said it was. And his decision not to create a panic over that was correct. You say it was for the stock market. I disagree with that. You're just basing your opinion. I disagree with it. People are sick and tired. I hear the same man being accused of everything under the sun. You do nothing but trash. All you're doing is making people pull for Trump because we're sick and tired of here. Thanks a lot, Tom. James, you still there? I'm here. Okay. We got our first case on January 20th. Taiwan got their first case on January 21st. Taiwan has 35 million people. Taiwan immediately, because they had the exact same information that Trump shared with Bob Woodward one week after January 20th, Taiwan immediately said they didn't even shut down their country. Taiwan never shut down their country. Instead, they said, okay, what we know about this, which is what Trump told Bob Woodward, is that this is an airborne virus. And so we're going to have everybody in the country wear a mask. That's it. That's what we're going to do. Okay. And we're okay. going to start I, testing I, I people. And hang on just a second, James. Let me just finish my sentence, and then I'll give you all the time you want. Okay. And Taiwan okay. said, we're going to start testing people, and anybody who tests positive, we will pay for a hotel to put them up in, but they are going to be quarantined until they no longer are testing positive. And anybody that they've come into contact with, we will, we will trace. Taiwan did that. Taiwan has had fewer than two dozen people die. They haven't had a case of transmission since April 12th. They are having football games now, soccer games, with thousands of people in the stands. The malls are open. The stores are open. The restaurants are open. Everyone's still wearing masks, but they don't have this virus on their island. They have not had a domestically transmitted case since April 12th. They knew the exact same stuff Trump knew, and if Trump had done what Taiwan did, probably fewer than three or 400 people in America would have died. Over 190,000 Americans are dead because Donald Trump lied to us for six months about what he knew, James. And those are the facts. I don't see how you can rebut well, that. Uh, there's another fact, Tom, that you seem to be forgetting, and I recall this, and you, probably most of your callers, you couldn't get masks then because there was a shortage of them. You couldn't even get toilet paper. So where were all these mysterious masks supposed to come from? It took us months to build up to that. How's that Trump's fault? You didn't talk about that. Well, during, James, during World War II, hang on just a second, within a month of Franklin Roosevelt having declared war on Germany and Japan in December of 1941, we were producing a bomber an hour out of the River Rouge Ford plant in Detroit. Franklin Roosevelt invoked the Defense Production Act and said to Ford, you're not making cars anymore, you're going to make bombers. And they were producing a B-29 bomber one an hour within a month of our entering World War II. I don't know why Donald, you know, obviously Taiwan did something similar to that. You know, we're going to start producing masks. But Donald Trump chose not to do that and instead chose to lie to us, James. Uh, he didn't lie to us, Tom. That's your opinion. He told us it was going to go away. He knew that was a lie. He told us it was about as dangerous as the flu. He knew that that was a lie. He told Bob Woodward that was a lie in January and February. Haven't you heard the well, audio of this, James? If, if Woodward recorded the, case, the calls with the Trump's case, permission. Is the president of the United States the only person that knew that? 
or did all these other people that supposedly blamed Trump, they didn't, they didn't know anything until it got out of control. Only the president. James, you're making my point. Obviously, obviously no, Trump was not is, the only person who knew uh, this. Like this. Mike Pence knew my this. Is, the head of, of Health and Human Services knew this. Hell, back in the last week of November, the U.S. intelligence agencies notified Israel, and this was published in the Israeli press, and it's you know been verified all over the world. In November, we notified our intelligence services who had been who had told this to Trump. This Trump was briefed on this in November that there was some sort of wild contagious virus that wasn't the flu that was loose in China. By December, they knew what it was. They knew that it was the, what we call you know now COVID nineteen. So, you know, it's not. Yes, there was a whole bunch of people around Trump, his cabinet, his national security officials, his vice president. They all knew how bad it was. But Trump made it clear that he was going to lie about this. And anybody who disagreed with him, he fired. James, I'm here. Okay. so what do you do with a president who lies to you and causes 200,000 deaths? What do you do? Lie to us. They didn't know the severity, of, and still the severity of it has been way out, uh, has been blown way out of proportion. You, you didn't give all the facts correctly. You said 190-something thousand had died. Only a small percentage of them actually died from COVID alone. The bulk of them had underlying conditions, people over 80, and also how many people die from the flu every year that has other underlying conditions? Probably just as many or more. So you're not giving the number all of people the who died from the flu. Part of it. James, the number of people who died from the flu last year was under 4,000. And, and yes, there are, bir- okay, there are well, death certificates. All right, all right, if that's the case, hang just a second, James. The, the just, just chill out for a second. There are death certificates. You're right. There are death certificates that say that this person died from heart failure caused by COVID. This person died from respiratory failure caused by COVID. There are a lot of people who had uh, diabetes and other conditions and then died from COVID. So what? They died from COVID, James. Well, that, they no, wouldn't they be dead if they didn't flu. have COVID. Had they got the flu, they would have could have died from the same thing. How many people Not died true. from the flu every year? From you don't know that. You're Around three thousand. Around three thousand people, people died from the flu every year. Actual well, cases. How many? How many of those actually died that know from the flu versus somebody that could have underlying conditions? As you said, a heart condition, and they actually died from the uh, flu. But then they COVID say, no, it was a heart condition causes, because it's not as much information. No, you no, COVID that. causes heart failure. You don't have to have heart disease to, to have your heart fail from COVID. What you're missing, James, you've been listening too much to Fox News. I'm telling you, no, if no, you no. get COVID no, without heart disease, it can cause a heart attack. And your death certificate will then say heart stopped because of COVID. That's two things. And that little bit of truth is being used to lie to people like you, James, and tell you that because COVID stopped this person's heart, that therefore they didn't die of COVID. I don't understand how that makes any sense to anybody. All right. Let me ask you another question. I know five people, I would not say their names for any reason, that was diagnosed with COVID-19, tested positive. Okay, they went back to the doctor the very next day for the next week three different tests and they tested negative okay the one positive they showed that as a, a COVID-19 the other three said they didn't have it so th- those numbers are skewed and also how many people actually get sick at all from COVID-19 very few about half it's a very small about half amount. about half of the people no, who are not. infected no, with COVID-19 no, have not. symptoms that's not true James look at the science about half of I people who get who numbers. get COVID have symptoms and about half don't have any symptoms and and most of the people who don't have any symptoms are younger people but we now know you know from from the school studies that we're looking at in Europe that kids who are two three four five six seven years old are perfectly capable of spreading it when they get it they just don't typically get symptoms there are some who get symptoms well, there have been some who died but mostly well, the, not. these same You're, doctors these, these doctors that knew all so this James I don't hear James I'm, stop for a second before. James, why are you justifying 200,000 people dying from a disease we didn't have to get? South Korea doesn't have this disease. Taiwan doesn't have this disease. Australia, by and large, doesn't have this disease. They had a recent small outbreak in one state in Victoria. You've got countries in Europe that have this disease largely under control. Why are you justifying all these American deaths? I don't understand. Is it because you think that Donald Trump is wonderful and therefore if he lied to us, we can't acknowledge that?
How do you know that the other, those other governments aren't lying to you? About the numbers. Because there's you know people that? who live there. There are reporters. There oh, are scientists. Okay. They're part. I got you. you know, you've got the World Health Organization. I mean, you know, come on, James. Now, All right. I, I hear you. All righty. James, thanks for the story, call. Tom. Yeah, man. Thanks. What's the same old story? Okay. All righty. Well, James is gone. All right. We'll be back. I, you know, James, I wish you well. I, honest to God, I wish you well. I. I, I know that there are a lot of good and decent people out there who have been reading the propaganda, a lot of it coming out of Russia that is being posted on Facebook and other sites. It's not all coming out of Russia. You know, a fair amount of it's coming out of other countries, too, and some of it's coming here. Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And you're believing this stuff, and you're being lied to by multimillionaire Sean Hannity or multimillionaire, you know, fill-in-the-blank, right, the hosts over at Fox News. But you're being lied to. We're putting together a series of American history books. It started with a hidden history of guns in the Second Amendment. Then we had the hidden history of the Supreme Court, the betrayal of America. Then the hidden history of the Republican war on voting. The hidden history of monopolies, how big business destroyed the American dream. And then next spring, it's going to be the hidden history of oligarchy and tyranny. And welcome back. What an amazing day, huh? Tim in uh, Aloha, Oregon. Hey, Tim, what's up? <clears throat> you know, Tom, I, excuse me. The hey, you too, huh? Jay- yeah, I, I keep coughing because I've, I've got James, this damn guy, smoke in my lungs. Well, I'll tell you, it's pretty bad. But James, this guy you talked to, that's a summary mm-hmm. of actually what's going on in this country. You know, they, they yeah. complain about why the Republicans haven't done anything to Trump. It's just that old that old saying, in for a penny, if you understand what I mean. When that lunatic mm-hmm. got into office and he was a disaster right from the beginning, they gave the excuse that, oh, he's never been in politics and this will eventually clear up and so forth. And then they then it started getting worse day by day and they think, wait, wait a minute, if we go after him, we're going to go after our base too. You see what I mean? It's as go simple ahead. as that. You know, and they're not concerned about overall numbers. They're concerned about the electoral college system. They're working on that right now as we speak. You know, forget gerrymandering, redistricting, uh, Russian interference, Saudi money. I could go on and on. Coke Industries, sixty plus million people still voted for that lunatic. You see what I mean? That's what you have to understand. And 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 what he's doing now, no matter what he does, every time the man opens his mouth, he's either jeopardizing or destroying people's lives, and that's okay. And they know that. They see how much worse can it get, and his his popularity still stayed, you know, fairly close to the forty between 42 and 43 percent if it was 4.3 percent that would be too much <laughs> based on having any kind yeah. of intelligence you see so it's as simple as that well it's pretty shocking i mean tim herbert hoover at the depth of the great depression three years of the great depression it started in october of 1929 and by november of 1932 the election Herbert Hoover had done nothing. Finally, in the last six months, he threw a few small measures at it, trying to look like he was doing something, but basically he did nothing. And all America knew that it was his responsibility. It happened on his watch. It happened because of the policies of the two Republicans that preceded him. And still, Herbert Hoover got 40% of the vote. I'm thinking that there's like 40% of Americans who are just like so gullible to Republican propaganda that they can't be reached. Right. You know, you can look at like the, the Midwest and the South, all the the major areas where there's red states. And, you, you know, I have a couple of degrees in history, and I've studied it. And you look back and you say, you look at, you know, military, industrial, educational variables through those through generations. And I get to the point where I think right now there, there's a physical inability for them to actually reason. It's scary stuff. There, You know, you can talk to these people. I have friends and relatives all over the country, and it's scary. That whole guns, gods, and gay routine, you know, that's it, yeah. it's still as, as relevant as it's ever been. Yeah, that's going to be the subtext of all that stuff is straight white men. Thanks for the call. It's a great one. This is the Tom Hartman program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman book club is Mind uh, Blank, Cambridge Analytica and the Plot to Break America by Christopher Wiley. This is from the uh, Revelations chapter next to the last chapter. My life now looks like that of a paranoid man, but after being assaulted in the street, receiving threats from rogue private security firms, having my hotel room broken into late at night as I was sleeping, and experiencing two hacking attempts on my email in the past 12 months, it's only sensible to be cautious. 
When I had my flat checked for security risks, the TV was deemed a risk, as it could be used to watch or listen to me without my ever knowing. As we dismantled it, I smiled at the irony of a TV that watches you. In the days leading up to the story's publication, when Facebook began sending me legal threats and escalated my case up to its deputy general counsel and vice president, my lawyers realized that the company saw my whistleblowing as a major threat to its business. Having experience on other hacking cases, my lawyers knew what companies backed into a corner were willing to do. But Facebook was different. They did not need to hack me. They could simply track me everywhere because of the apps on my phone, where I was, who my contacts were, who I was meeting. I disposed of my phone, and my lawyers bought new clean phones that have never touched Facebook, Instagram, or WhatsApp. The terms and conditions of Facebook's mobile app asked for microphone and camera access. Although the company is at pains to deny pulling user audio data for targeted advertising, there is nonetheless a technical permission sitting on our phones that allows access to audio capabilities. And I was not an average user. I was the company's biggest reputational threat at the time. At least in theory, audio could be activated, and my lawyers were concerned that the company could listen in on my conversations with them or with the police. Facebook already had access to my photos and my camera, which put them in a position to not just listen to me, but also to see where I was. Even if I was alone in the bathroom taking a shower, I wasn't ever really alone. If my phone was there, so was Facebook. There was no escape. But getting rid of my phone wasn't going to be enough. My mom, dad, and sisters all had to remove Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp from their phones for the same reason. But Facebook also knew who all my friends were. They knew where they liked to go out, what we wrote about in messages, and they knew where we all lived. Even hanging out with my friends became a risk, as Facebook had access to their phones. If a friend took a photo, Facebook could access it. And in facial recognition algorithms could, at least in theory, detect my face in the photos sitting on other people's phones, even if they were strangers to me. As I was getting rid of my old electronics, my friends joked that it was as if I was exorcising the demons inside the machines. And one friend even brought over some sage to burn, just in case. A funny gesture, of course, but in a way it really was an exorcism. We now live in a world where there are invisible spirits made of code and data that have the power to watch us, listen to us, and think about us. And I wanted these specters gone from my life. On March 16, 2018, a day before The Guardian and The New York Times published my story, Facebook announced that it was banning me, not only from Facebook, but also Instagram. Facebook had refused to ban white supremacists, neo-Nazis, and other armies of hate, but it had chosen to ban me. The company demanded that I hand over my phone and personal computer and said that the only way for me to be reinstated was, in effect, to give them the same information I was providing the authorities. Facebook behaved as if it were a nation state rather than a company. The firm did not seem to understand that I was not the subject of investigation. They were. My lawyers advised me to refuse their demands so as not to interfere with a lawful police and regulatory investigation. Later, when I was working with the authorities, the ban made it far more difficult to hand over evidence that was sitting in my Facebook account, and the investigation into what happened during the Brexit referendum suffered as a result. They say you appreciate something only when it's gone, and it was only when I was erased from Facebook that I truly realized how frequently my life touched their platform. Several of my phone's apps stopped working, a dating app, a taxi app, a messaging app, because they used Facebook authentication. Subscriptions and accounts I had on websites failed for the same reason. People often talk about a dualism, the cyber world, and our real lives. But after having most of my digital identity confiscated, I can tell you that they are not separate. When you are erased from social media, you lose touch with people. I stopped getting invited to parties, not intentionally, but because those invites also happened on Facebook or were posted on Instagram. Friends who did not have my new phone number found it nearly impossible to get a hold of me, except for trying to send an email to my lawyers. When I got through the thick of the whistleblowing, it would only be in coincidental encounters at clubs or bars that I would make contact with people I had not seen in months. And now when guys on dating apps asked to check out my Instagram profile, it starts an awkward explanation of how I was banned and that I'm not catfishing, I promise. It's as if my identity has been confiscated and people no longer believe I am who I say I am. Sometimes I get recognized as that guy and people worry that someone might start watching them if they decide to meet me. I always tell them that they needn't worry because these companies are already tracking them 24-7. This ban was nothing more than a dick move by Facebook and it felt like trolling by frightened bullies. 
For me, it created at most an annoying personal hassle and was not nearly as consequential to my life as the kinds of retaliation that other whistleblowers have experienced, not to mention the degree of damage to modern society that the platform has already aided and abetted. But it showed me just how integral my online identity had become to so many facets of my life. The book by Christopher Wiley. Thanks so much for being with us today and uh, throughout the week. Thanks to Louise, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Hoyt, Geraldine Albert, Dave Fulton, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Strauss, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, and Jabbermocky, all the folks working on this show. Thank you, and thank you for being with us. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 